Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have a strict no BS policy. Do you consent to that? I'm Dr. Shu, and I'm here to share my personal journey and medical expertise to help those suffering with mental health and addiction issues. Not with gentle hand-holding, but with my straightforward honesty. It's time to take control. No more excuses. Cut the bullshit. It's time for breaking through. And it starts now. Welcome to another episode of Cut the Bullshit, Breaking Through with Dr. Shu. I'm your host, Dr. Shu, and as usual, we are cutting the bullshit to give you the tools on your recovery and mental health journey. Today, we will be chatting about recovery, body issues, and relationships in recovery with the recovery power couple, Tim Ryan and Jennifer Jimenez. Yay. <laughs> um, today, talk, today, we're talking about recovery and relationships. I know a number of you out there are on your current recovery path and dating someone outside of the recovery world. So I want to take a few moments and, and talk about some of the, the issues that we sober people um, have with those who are not in recovery and when we're in a relationship. Um, for me, I'm, I'm in that sort of situation myself. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been the most powerful thing to have the tools of my program, the tools of my my having my sponsor available and, you know, really working um, through the issues that come up in the relationship in the manner that I was taught in my program. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so it, it can be challenging, um, you know, going out, um, you know, going to events, especially with pride season coming up, um, that creates its own set of challenges, especially if, if you're a power couple like we have in the house tonight. Um, fortunately, they're both sober, but, um, you know, if you have one that's uh, not sober, you know, how do you handle that? Mm. So that's one of the things that we're going to get into some depth um, with uh, Tim and Jennifer here this evening as well. So let's get on to it. I'd like to welcome our power couple today. Jennifer Jimenez is an internationally renowned model, actress, reality TV personality, motivational speaker, and more, who started her entertainment career at the age of 13. Mm. I can't imagine what it would have been like to start at the age of 13. <clears throat> the Hollywood dream was to become a nightmare as Jennifer spiraled into the world of addiction. Now 15 years sober, she has used the story of her recovery to help others on reality TV with Dr. Drew. As an expert on The View, CNN, The Today Show, The Doctors, and E! News, just to name a few. She launched Soberbook, a site that allows everyone to be the writer by sharing their stories anonymously. Jennifer has become a leading advocate in the substance abuse recovery world. Together with her husband, Tim Ryan, and their organization, Dope to Hope, they speak to audiences all over the world. They inspire their audiences to live a more fulfilling, passionate, and purposeful life. Tim Ryan has become a tireless advocate for long-term recovery after spending time in prison due to his addiction. Tim became sober behind bars and inspired, the tra and inspired by the tragic 
death of his son due to addiction, created a nonprofit, a man in recovery foundation. This is a nonprofit that helps anyone find treatment in recovery. Timmons is the subject of A&E documentary Dope Man, who, which has reached millions. He has been featured. He's been a featured thought leader in numerous national media and television shows. In addition to to Dope to Hope with wife Jennifer, they also host a top-rated podcast, The Tim and Jen Show. Please welcome Tim and Jen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. I'm really excited to be here in studio, live with you and <laughs> the rest of the fellows here. Amen. Um, and I am so excited that we get to talk about a topic that is so relevant to all of our lives Absolutely. day in day out we do not do anything perfectly and we it's not just about recovery it's about being in a healthy relationship and right. learning what that looks like and what that is right wow <laughs> yeah you're a handful <laughs> you know i'm the i'm the vagabond that did what i want when i want until jen comes into my life and take the garbage out and do this and make the bed no she's no but it's funny because you said when we first started talking we got together for work right, right. we hadn't met each other but we i didn't want to know anything about his personal life he didn't want to know any, we were it was all work business, especially strictly being business. a female in this industry you want to be taken seriously right, absolutely and I had learned through, you know, hitting my head in the same spot. I didn't want to do the same mistake. And, um, you know, getting – we were talking one day, and I was like, you know, I'm a nomad. He's like, well, I'm a vagabond. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> and uh, here we are. Oh, absolutely. So <clears throat> let me start off with um, – I think you sort of discussed it, how you two met. So it was, it was, for, it was through work. I had actually – We'd been following each other on social media for a number of years, and I got to a point to where my side's doing 250 speaking events a year, but I was having women come up to me and spew all their trauma, and I'm like, hold on, I'm just, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a female here, and it gave me the idea I should reach out to Jennifer. She also posted a picture on Instagram in her bathing suit, and her ass looked great, so <laughs> I messaged her, but we, we talked for weeks, but we were, you know, let's speak together. We can do interventions together. We could possibly open a treatment center. Let's be the power couple. Be a power couple of recovery. recovery. Absolutely. And she finally, I finally flew to Florida to meet her, and I'm in the middle of my second divorce, I, I'm last thing I want is a relationship. <laughs> when she got out of that car and gave me a hug, four hours later, I told her I'm going to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you. And we're married, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. Just to make a note, I do want to let you know that I was like, you might want to finish that divorce first. <laughs> finish you the know, divorce. I mean, go sow your oats. The, I'm like, Yeah, nah. I didn't want it. I was like, go do your guy thing, because guys need to do their thing. Right. He's like, no, it's done. And honestly, like, I believed at love at first sight for you and for you and other people. But I thought all the exes accumulated to that mm. one, right? I was not looking. Like, I just, I was going to walk out of this industry. I didn't know. I thought I was going to go back to acting, and um, I was really kind of toying with, like, wh what do I want to do next? Right. You know, what's my next chapter going to be? And when we started talking, it was like we were so aligned in what we wanted and how we wanted to help and be voices out there for people and, and be able to, you know, allow others to find their voice. Sure, you know? absolutely. Um, and then we get together, and it was just game on. <laughs> So, you know, uh, I mean, you both have ha have had individually successful careers. Is it sometimes hard to share the spotlight? Not at all. No? I'd, I'd rather give it to her all day long. The nice thing is, I mean, we do, 
when we're speaking, you know, she does her deal. I do my deal. When we do interventions, it's great because I'm either working with the person or she's working with the family or vice versa. It all works. But for me, there's never been, oh, well, you got this article or you did. We're a team. Right. And, and that's the right. way we operate together. It was so important for me um, to not feel that I was ever in competition with the person that I was in love with. You oh, know? Absolutely. And that can easily, especially being two type A personalities, you know, and if you think about it, you know, Tim and I both have our past and we have our story, our own story, as well as right. our story together. And to find a man that's comfortable in his own skin was like such a key thing for me and to have him in my life like it was like he fit the mold perfectly like we just fit together and you know I, I I remember when I started, we started talking and I was like, oh God, I just, you know, I'm going to have to learn how he is. And if I don't want to hear his issues, you know what I mean? Like I, I was so tired of like, being, I don't have like, any <laughs> being around people and like, they wanted to just talk. Like I, I wanted a man, you know right. what I mean? Like, and not that talking about your issues is bad, right. but, um, I wanted, you know, I don't have to be like man up, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I mean, you know, we talked about some imperfection, um, you know, what are some mistakes do you think people make in their relationships while on their path in recovery? So, I'm. I, I listen through trial and error. I have. You know, I have. I was a chronic relapser. I could not get so stay sober to save my life. My big thing was how do I stay stopped? And um, what had happened throughout the years? I got sober at 21. Clearly, I'm not in my 20s. And um, I. That's where the journey started for me. And I just. The higher powers, I'll call it, like, you know, I thought he was going to save me. That job was going to save me. So he saving me every time just, you know, kicks me harder down. Sure, absolutely. Tim, You know, my there's a reason they tell you once you're getting newly sober, no relationships for a year. That wasn't me. I'd get sober six months. I'd do this. But I needed the foundation. Um, and I think a lot of people do. But it's it's different scenarios if... God forbid one of us were to relapse. What would the other do? Of course, we'd support them. But if they kept using, the other one's walking away. Well, yeah, and I agree with you on that. And I love that you're talking about that. I'll tell you two quick stories. My sponsor yeah, said this time around for me, she said, listen, I need you to get, you're going to get really uncomfortable at nine months over. She said, I need you to get pen and paper and get ready to dig deep. It's going to get uncomfortable. I couldn't do things that weren't necessarily in the program as well as doing the program. You right. know, I was doing both. So she said, no, make up. I had to go into the room, 12-step rooms, demasked. I had to um, – these were the things that she said. Get ready to get paper and get pen and paper and get ready to get dig deep. Then you're not going to drink. You're not going to do drugs. You're not going to hurt anyone. You're not going to hurt yourself. No relationships and no sex. And I was like, hold up. No sex. <laughs> and excuse my language. She was like, put a motherfucking nickel between your knees. I was like, what? There I did go. it. I got it for a year. And that lasted a year. Then, again, at five years sober – um, I ended the last abusive relationship. I walked away mm. that I so freely forgot, you know, that my sponsor made me say, it took me seven hours to say, I, Jennifer, I'm in an abusive relationship. Seven hours. And I'm like, now what? You can tell me to leave him? She said, no, you'll know one day. I knew that day. I called her and uh, she said, I want 
a welcome to freedom of bondage of abuse. You never have to go back. And then I was like, three months later, I called her. I, you know, we were talking still, but I said, I think we we'll are start dating now. And she's like, oh, really? What do you want a guy to do? I was like, I want a guy to take me out. I want to dress up. You know, I want to buy me flowers. She's like, great. You're going to dress up. You're going to go buy yourself flowers. You're going to go out on a date by yourself. Ooh. You and God. And I did that for like eight months. And it was phenomenal. I did it again. Um, cut to it three years ago. I did it again for 10 months. And then I met Tim. Really? Well, one thing I want to throw in, though, is, you know, when, when Jen and I got together and got engaged and got married, she connected me with the therapist. And having a sponsor and all this and being sober is great. But that therapist opened doors for me in aspects I never looked at. And we've done couples therapy. And I remember when Jen said, let's do couples therapy. I said, what are you talking about? She said, Tim, this has nothing to do with us. I love you. You love me. But I want to make sure I'm doing the things I should as a wife and you're doing the things as a husband. And it just works. But we both needed to invest in ourselves because you got two type A persons. We live together. We work together. We travel together. We're together 24-7. And that's a blessing. That's a gift. I choose to be with my shit. She goes to away for three hours. I'm texting her. When are you coming home? I'm, I'm codependent. Yeah. But I like being with my wife, you know? I mean, right. and it was important for me. You know, I, I never have I been married till now. And Tim's been in marriages and he's been divorced a couple of times. So I said, you know. I'm not here to throw you under the bus. Like, I don't need a room in, with a, a therapist to throw you under the I'll right. throw. I'll tell you how I feel. I communicate. And I have those skills today. And I said, I just want to empower us. Like, I want to be able to be the best wife I can possibly be. And I want you to be able to be the best husband you can possibly be. We both got to bring our A game to this. And relationships are tough. And people in early work. recovery, oh, yeah. if you're not in a relationship, date yourself. Mm-hmm. It is so important to get to know yourself. And then if you start start dating it's i call it the 90 day rule right because like after 90 days like you might not like the way i chew but like maybe like 60 days in you're like god it's bothering me like by 90 (laughs) days you're like stop chewing you know what i mean like it's the 90 day rule and like you know all those you know things that you thought they were all the the you know oh my god it's so amazing the infatuation that kind of wears out after 90 days. Oh, then you absolutely. start going, wait a minute, who is this person? You know, and the dream gets shattered. So the reality comes in and you got to say, do I still like this person? Well, you know, uh, two things, um, you know, I, I mean, I guess sort of, you know, you look at the, the love and lust also. Mm-hmm. And that the lust usually comes first, especially with us. In sure, recovery. absolutely. Um, and then the love comes maybe. And, and, you know, the, like you said, the 90 days sort of it, – it's at that point where you start to figure out who the other person is and how much you actually care about them and, you know, how much you really want to enmesh yourself in their life. Absolutely. Like, even now, I say to Tim, you know, he's like, of course you look beautiful. And I'm like, babe, I only want to be beautiful for you. Like, I don't need someone else to tell me. I'm, you know what I mean? Right. Like, and so thankfully, like, I get that from him. He's like, you're so, you know, it's like the little things. Do 20 and, push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, and it's learning to have fun, you know, right. like. We laugh he, constantly. And he needs his space and I need my space. Like, I have my own little dates, like, especially during COVID. I'll go and I walk the streets, you know, my, yep. my neighborhood. And that's like me and God. And I look at the trees and I'm med- doing my walking meditations and, you know, all that. Like, I need, I needed that space and that time alone, especially during this time where we're, we're just in. Sure, absolutely. 
Uh, you know, something else that Tim, you know, you brought up was was the whole the therapy um, aspect. Um, you know, and that's that's one of the things that you know we we have program, um, but that doesn't always take care of everything. Not at all. Not I've got a shitload. I, can I swear? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I got a shitload of trauma that I never knew until. Two and a half years out of prison, I'm at an event and Dr. Gabor Mate speaking about trauma. And then all this stuff started coming up. And one of the things Jen hit me with, I had uh, two brothers and a sister. We're all adopted. My little brother and sister are twins. They all found their biological families. I didn't. And I'm like, I could care less. And Jen's like, but Tim, you actually have some deep-rooted abandonment issues. And I'm starting to work on those things now. But the cool thing is... Jen will come to me and say, honey, Tim, jerk, no. (laughs) She'll say, I want to talk to you about something. This isn't about you. So she's very on point on how we communicate because I could be in my own world and she says something and I go sideways and she's like, this isn't about you. I just want to explain. Let's talk. Let's look. Think about this. That's what's really cool about our relationship. I learn a lot from her, too. Um and damn, she's got a personality that won't stop. So, yeah. You cannot silence me. I found my voice in recovery, and I'm so grateful. And I told Tim when I met him, I'm like, it's kind of bad for you, but great for me. And in the future, it'll be the greatest thing for you is I found my voice. Um, I learned the lessons. I I remember the last guy I was with prior to Tim, he, he ended it from one day to the next. We're moving to South Beach. And I was like... Oh, God, and he's breaking up with me, right? Right. And I'm like, Jenny, don't cry. Don't freak out. Don't laugh. Don't get angry. Absorb and observe. Learn the lesson. And so, like, I just remember him, like, saying all these things. And I remember the blinds and all this. And I was just, like, silent. And he left. I told him to leave. And I cried. And I cried for three and a half months. And I thought I was crying over him. At three and a half months, I wake up and I start doing the crying thing, right? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not crying over him. God, I'm crying over me. I lost my voice. I lost who I was. I made myself small so he could feel big. And I'll never do that again. I will only embrace and celebrate the next person I'm with. And it's true. We talk like I have issues that come up or whatever, and it has nothing to do with Tim. And I'll say, what's going on with me is not about you. Right. And I'm going through this. Maybe I miss my dad. Maybe I'm stressed out. Maybe, you know, I go, I suffer from depression. Maybe it's depression. I know he doesn't understand it. Because I understand he, well, it. You understand I don't it, have but it. You don't have it. So right. I go. I don't expect you to cure me. I'm just going to tell you: Is it as dark as I think it is right now? You know. And he'll say, "No, babe, it's not." Or it's kind of it is. But you know. The, but the cool thing is, Owen Jen's said this numerous times. She's never went longer than 24 hours of being in a dark place. Right. Because we have connection and yeah. purpose. Prior to that, I'd go three, four, five days, and I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm in depression. Like, Because right. I knew, and I have my team. I have a tower of team, like my friends, my sponsor, Therapist. therapy. You know, and I'll be like, I'm in depression, guys. You know, and but now I don't Let's even have Let's rally. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so one of the things um, that, you know, I sort of want to bring up, uh, especially about being in a relationship, is the aspect of unconditional love. Mm. And, you know, I, I know I've, I've had a hard time, like, figuring that out for myself. You know, how do you, how do you guys work through that whole unconditional love situation? So <clears throat> when COVID hit last year, 
our life's got everyone's life got flipped upside. Right. All, 85 oh, yeah. speaking events canceled. We got it. It almost killed us for eight weeks. But that's when we decided to get our podcast going and redevelop. But I looked at Jen and working in the treatment industry the past seven plus years, it's the most dysfunctional, disgusting industry I've ever worked in in my life. Amen. And <laughs> I, I looked at Jen and I said, I got to ask you a question. She said, what? I said, if I wanted to move to Dubuque, Iowa and open a pizza restaurant. She said, I'd be right by your side. She said, if you want to walk away from everything, you just let me know when and where and where we're going, and I'm right there with you. Right there, and then I knew. It's right. it's total on. And the way she treats me and, and my children and, and loves my children like her children. I, they're from five and a half to 23, and she's just my rock. She's my best friend, you know? Simple as that. And, and that's, that's really what it's about. I yeah. mean... So, Jennifer, you got in the entertainment industry at such a young age on covers of hundreds of big-name magazines. What was your first exposure to the world of addiction? <laughs> so, Great question. Um, that, is a great, that is a great question. And, and I have to correct you in your intro. Uh, she's not a model. She was a supermodel. <laughs> There's a huge difference. But anyhow, I, um, I've i been scolded on that before. So <laughs> there you go. I, uh, I feel, so it's interesting. Tim and I were just talking about it the other day. So I took my first drink. My family's from Argentina. I remember what I related as a child growing up in Argentina was people drinking and having fun. Fun, love, laughter, dancing, like just a joyous time. So I wanted to feel like they did because I had so much trauma like going on and chaos actually going on. I didn't know it was trauma or chaos. It was just very loud what was happening um, in my childhood. Sure. And I wanted to feel like they did in Argentina. So I took that first drink. I was 12. I hadn't modeled yet. But my I didn't know about addiction or disease or anything like that um, or recovery. When I was 13 years old, um, I got discovered by Bruce Weber, one of the biggest photographers till this day. And uh, I worked with, you know, all these people for this huge collection book for Azadine Laya. Um, I did two other campaigns. And my fourth job was a movie called Let's Get Lost, a documentary on Chet Baker. It actually got nominated for Best Documentary at oh, the wow. Oscars. Won all the awards from, like, Sundance to Venice, uh, Cannes, all of them. Um, and... Uh, and I remember we were shooting with Chet Baker. It was a documentary on Chet Baker. who was one of the most famous jazz musicians in the world. And we shot at the San Juan Pier. It was really late. My mom was with me. And Chet and his girlfriend at the time, and my mom and I, we were staying at the Shangri-La in Santa Monica. And it was 4 or 5 in the morning, and we're running to go get the elevator, and Chet was walking in. And it was like he and I came, like, I was like, hi, and I, like, locked eyes. Even though we had been working together, right. I just remember this moment, and I just told you about it the other day. We looked at each other, and it was like I, he had these piercing, beautiful blue eyes. He was one of the most beautiful men when he was young. At this point, he's really old. And I just remember I went into his eyes, it felt like. I'm 13. Again, I don't know about spiritual. I don't know about anything, right? <laughs> and I'm looking, like, and I go inside and it was like we connected. Right. And then my mom and his girlfriend were like, ha, kiss. And we touch the buttons and I say bye. And at that moment, we locked and it was like I knew him. But I didn't know him. He suffered from addiction he ended up killing himself in the movie at the end of the movie he he jumped out of the building oh, in wow. paris yeah he's yeah and so he suffered from heroin addiction and just addiction in itself you know and alcoholism and it was like what we were connecting to was that moment and i didn't know you know i didn't know sure. so that was my first exposure to connecting with someone or a disease but not knowing about it but modeling 
you know, everyone gave me drinks. Everyone, you know, if I see a measuring tape till this day, I like shiver. I like freak out. Oh, yeah. But um, because that was like the story of my life. And it was like I always needed to be smaller, smaller, smaller. I was 5'6 when I got discovered. I'm 5'10 now. My body started developing. And they wanted me to be something I wasn't. And uh, drugs and alcohol came in very, very handy. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That you used that as a coping mechanism to deal with, with the body image issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the next question sort of ties into that is in is it even possible for someone in the modeling and entertainment industry to not get wrapped up in drugs and alcohol? I think that if they come from a good background, a childhood, you know, a good family background, I mean, you can have the best childhood, you know, in your life and still become an addict. You know, it's a disease. I mean, right. it really goes. We're living in a time now that this filtered world we live in um it's gotten worse. You know, I did a TED talk and Tim and I, when we were tr- when I was trying to do this whole thing, it was like, what's different? You know, from when I got discovered, you know, I had the yes and people around me. Today we have internet trolls hiding behind and like right. bashing you, right? Exactly. But like every kid has a phone. Um, we did a speaking event, remember, in Shelby? Yeah, in Shelbyville, Indiana. And what happened? Well, we had uh, 2,500 students between sixth grade to seniors in high school. And afterwards, we did the high school, we did a community event. Jen's phone was blowing up with over 800 Instagram messages till 2.30 in the morning from 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. 11-year-old was the last girl. Kids, girls, huh. asking for help, saying thank you. Um, homes of, of tragedy of, you know, moms and alcoholic, dads gone, dads in prison. And these kids are suffering in silence. They have right. nobody to talk to. And so what happened was the last one I read, because Tim and I sat there and read all of them. And uh, the last girl... And was, responded. Yeah, and responded. The right. last girl was an 11-year-old girl named Lily. And I said, A, Lily, what are you doing up so late? B, why do you have your phone? And C, go to bed. And she was like, you're the only one that told my story and you heard you're listening to me right now and we were like I get the chills and I was like how do I respond because I wanted to be very cautious and careful how I talk back to children under 18 right. yeah, you know no, absolutely but I was we we're very real about our experiences wherever we go and we talk about things and it's you know? not sharing we talk about some of our journeys but we're not glamorizing it's more you know your product of the five people you associate with. What do you do if you have a friend that tells you, I'm cutting, I'm suicidal, I'm drinking, I'm abused? Most people co-sign their friends' bullshit. Right. So one of the things we'll do is, as we're speaking, Jen will pull two kids out of the audience. And I'll go up to them and say, oh, you're your best friends, and so what do you do if you see Jen going down a slippery slope? Oh, well, you know, I'll talk to her. And most of the kids don't know what to do. And I said, what you actually should do is snitch on them. That snitches get stitches is the biggest bunch of bullshit in the world. A true right. friend is going to say something and escalate it to a guidance counselor, a clinician, a friend, a family, so they can get the per- person the help they need. Too many people are suffering in silence and co-signing each other's bullshit. Right, exactly. You know, and that's that was one of my my biggest purposes of even starting the show and, and doing this. You know, I mean, I, I have a private practice. I, I see patients. You know, I do what every other therapist does in probably a much different way. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to do something that, again, just like you guys are doing, bring that voice, bring that openness, bring, you know, the fact that, you know, it's here. It's it's we're dealing with it, especially with COVID and, and all those things like, 
you know, mental health matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mental health, suicide, overdoses are up 34%. I can quote every statistic. The bottom line is our entire system is friggin' broken. Exactly. It's broken. And it needs to be completely revamped. You know, my son that died, he had been to treatment six times. I always had an out-of-network insurance. I sent him to the same center five times. Do his three weeks. He's out. All he did was get more drug contacts. Right. I didn't know I could put him on a plane and send him to California, do a 90 or 120-day program, an amazing structured sober living. I didn't know what I didn't know. People don't know where to go get these answers. That's why they turned us. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, that sort of brings me to something that, you know, we've sort of talked about how the system is broken. Um, you, you brought up about, you know, putting your, your son on an airplane to come to California to, to go through an amazing program in Structured Sober Living, there's also a lot of scrutiny that is happening um, across everywhere, the internet, Facebook, sure. um, you know, all these, and, you know, how do you, how do you feel about what has been going on with the, like this, the, the whole discussion regarding body brokers um there was a new movie that just came out yeah uh, that was you know. a shit movie <laughs> I, I didn't actually watch it so. so when i started working in florida seven years ago the place i started with had 25 outpatient clients they were just starting php so i was putting 20 30 people a month in treatment today that center is the largest privately held treatment center in the country they have 15 locations mental health they do everything except adolescents one of the clients I'd set down had relapsed, came back, moved into a sober living, and then her and her boyfriend got talked into moving into this guy Kenny Chapman's sober home. And Kenny Chapman's doing 27 years right. in prison because he was letting people get high, putting them back in, getting kickbacks. A lot of that in South Florida's went away. It's not went away here. Right. Uh, we had a good friend of ours open a center here last year, and they didn't have a detox, so they're business development gentleman was going to some of the detoxes and hey you know we'd like to use your detox and he said tim three of these places i go to say okay well how many clients are you going to send us a month and he said i don't know 20 and they're like okay great well we'll give you two grand per head and he said what are you talking about right i i don't want kickbacks i just want a program to work with there's no governance the joint commissions is the biggest joke in the world jaco you can throw right out the window it's pay for play it's all it's all legit scripts what do you think the word legit script is it's to get pharmaceutical companies originally certified and now they flip that into the treatment industry when you can take someone that's six months sober and and all of a sudden they're doing business development just because you're sober doesn't mean you should be working in this space you know and people like well how were you so successful i was a business guy for 23 years sure i like to drink and do heroin and stuff but i i've owned a number of businesses and i applied that to this industry but it's broken, man. We could we could do a ten hour oh, podcast. I can sit here and tell you, like, I'll, I didn't know about patient brokering. I'm in Florida. It's like you know, 2014, 15, and they told me about these guys, and they were patient brokers. I'm like, what's that? And they were like, oh, and they started kind of explaining it to me. So one day I'm having I'm at the on Atlantic Avenue in Delray, where it's mm-hmm. like the capital of like everybody right. that goes to treatment or works in treatment is there, that works in Florida. And uh, I'm sitting there having lunch with the owner of a treatment center, a friend of mine who I launched the magazine with, and another guy. And uh, and they're like, oh my god, did you hear about the girl? She got raped by these guys, and they worked for so and so, and blah blah blah, and. The person who she, the girl got raped, the main was accused, yeah. was accused of, walks right by. 
And they're like, that's the guy. And they had to hold me back. I didn't know the right. girl, never met her. I wanted to kill this man. I literally, the fact that he had his minions rape this girl and like right. she was getting thrown on the footsteps of a treatment center the next day, um, all, you know, beat up. It bothered me so bad that I sat there and I was like, I need to do a story. I need to tell a story. Right. No, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, so, and, you know, I mean, I again, you're right. We could, and I I actually do want to do some podcasts regarding absolutely. that stuff um, as we go. But, you know, I know that, um, you know, I, I used to have Nautilus Recovery Group here in L.A. Um, and, you know, I, I sold that. Um, and during that time, I was accused of oh everything. Oh I mean, yeah, you know, and it, and it was all complete bullshit sure. as, as usual. But you know, I mean, so how does that? You know, we're trying to do good, and how does that affect? You so know, I'm going to tell you, it weighs on you. You know, yeah. I I got out of prison. I started support groups. I I actually set up my nonprofit before my son died. I had it. I stumbled into working into treatment, but. What working in treatment did, it gave me the opportunity to run my nonprofit and never have to take a salary. And for three years, all my speaking fees I put into the nonprofit, right. over three hundred grand, And we, we, gave, we paid for indigent people to get into long-term peer-driven programs or pay for people to get in sober living. But then these trolls on the Internet would, oh, well, you use your foundation to pay for people to go to the center you work for. No, I don't. But you get people that had a bad or, or their kid went to treatment and relapsed or, or walked out and died two months later. Now it's my fault. No, right. it's not my fault. Do your damn due diligence. Get educated. But with social media today, look at COVID and the conspiracy theories. Right, exactly. And anyone can put something out there and everybody and, believes right. it. You know, anyone that works in treatment. Business development. You're, you're a body broker. I was always a full time salaried employee. I never got paid, you right. know, per client. It's but I'm sick and tired of fucking explaining so, myself. Right. I, I oh, think I that um, what has happened though too is um, they've taken it. First of all, I wasn't allowed to work in treatment. Like I would, I did those shows. Right. I moved out of L.A. I thought it was Egypt. It's only outside of uh, an hour outside of L.A. But. <laughs> I went and I applied at Target and and um, Starbucks. I didn't get those jobs. Dr. Drew happened to come to me um, and asked me to run Sober House on VH1. And I said, why me? He had predicted me dead that first year. He said right. I was one of those hopeless cases and just go through the motions with me. And he knew that I knew he had said that about me. And I said, why me? And he said, because it's people like you that keep proving what I'm doing. Keep me, you know, prove me wrong. Keep me doing what I'm right. doing. And... I was so grateful that I had that opportunity, but I did these shows and then they'd remove me from Hollywood and move me back into the rooms. And I was back in the rooms afterwards for until I was five years sober. I didn't go anywhere without somebody who wasn't sober or absolutely loved me like my mom or my right. brother or my best absolutely. friend. I couldn't because I had relapsed so many times. I couldn't be trusted. I didn't even trust myself. And at five years sober, I realized it was time for me to to go live a full life. Right. But I couldn't work in treatment. So anyone that works under, I'm a big advocate. You have to have like two to five years sober right. to start working. No, it. Absolutely. But it is not what I do for a living. It's not who I am. Like you know, and so my program is totally different than me doing what I do. Um, and I think we have to be very cautious and careful with that. So, uh, but here's the problem: you you see these treatment centers hiring people six months, twelve months sober. You can't say, "Are you in recovery? Do you actually have a sponsor? Have you went through the twelve steps? Are you sponsoring other people?" Because I don't care what people say. Seventy five percent of the people that get into this industry, from a behavioral health tech to a clinician, a business development to operations, 
the job becomes their recovery. We speak at treatment centers all over the country and to the employees and say, look, this is your career. This is this has nothing to do with your your 12 step or your Christian based or refuge recovery or smart and. You know, but the best things that have been happening lately, though, like they're not best things, but like seriously, it's been mind blowing to me where like, you know, it goes through phases. I've been attacked in every way possible. Right. right? On the Internet. I get it. I'm on TV. They're going to do that. Right. But um, when lately people are like, I've relapsed. Um, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I relapsed and now I have like two weeks sober and I need you to pay my mortgage payment so I don't lose my home. Or the cigarettes that you yeah, owe Yeah, I them. got a guy that, uh, you know, since <laughs> like, I, I relapsed, I'm, I'm homeless. You sent me to this program three years ago that my foundation paid. Um, I need a bus ticket home. I need food and I need cigarettes. How are you going to send it to me? What? You got me twisted, buddy. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not an enabler. And in this whole harm reduction thing, these people just want to enable, enable. I'm all for Narcan, but somebody overdoses get them into a psych ward hold them for five to seven days and get them into a program because right. if not they're going to walk right out of the hospital and go shoot up again and die because right. that's what i did eight times you know so sure so tim let's talk a little bit about you um you know so you were a successful businessman how yep. did you get into the world of heroin uh <laughs> it's crazy so i was 14 months clean Going to 12-step meeting, going to the Alano Club in Naperville, Illinois, uh, kind of do step one, two, three, yeah, whatever, I got a sponsor. And I met Joel, and Joel and I were the same age. We started hanging out. Three weeks later, he asked me to help him move out of his apartment in Chicago, me being the people pleaser I am. I said, sure. And as we're moving him out, his roommate Sava pops out of the bedroom and says, who are you? What are you doing here? I said, I'm Tim. I'm moving out. Joel, what are you doing? Heroin, you want to do some? Sure. That quick. 14 months without a drink or a drug, but I had no foundation. And I tried one bag, and Pandora's box was open. 12 years later, I'm shooting five grams of heroin a day. Wow. Yeah. You know, what was going through your mind when you were sentenced to prison? It's over. Game over. You know, I had overdosed December 16th of 2010 while driving. I hit two cars. I put four people in the hospital. Thank God they're okay. I fought my case for 21 months, but when Judge Wattis, I actually went and thanked the judge a couple years after I got out of prison. <laughs> We're good friends today, but I knew the gig was up. And then I'm in, in the processing in Stateville, Northern Illinois Receiving Center, and kicking heroin and all this. And about two weeks in, I looked out of my cell because you never leave it until they figure out what prison they're going to send you. I said, God, please take away this obsession and compulsion to use, and I swear I will turn my will and life over to you. And please let me get into Sheridan Prison. Next day, I was transferred to Sheridan Prison. I was probably the happiest person to walk into that prison because it had a therapeutic <laughs> drug treatment program. Sheridan Prison and West Care Treatment Program in Big Perk, my former Chicago gang chief, uh, Sally, uh, and the 12 Steps saved my life. Prison wow. was the best thing that ever happened to me. I needed to go. I needed to be sat down. I needed to lose everything. Wife divorced me, lost a home, everything. And I walked out 13 and a half months later for the first time in my life, 13 and a half months clean and sober, and have never looked back. Wow, that's incredible. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> the DUI was my turning point, um, you know, getting arrested by a police officer that my dad had trained in police academy. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and my dad died when I was 16. And, mm, sorry. You know, so, uh, and he's like, your dad... Uh, and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, what are you doing? You know, and 
and I was so drunk and so out of my mind. I, you know, I sprayed cologne in my mouth to try and <laughs> sure kill the breathalyzer. Yep. You wow. know, ended up going to the hospital and then going to jail. And you know, that time in jail was for me. Uh, you know, it was just county lockup and and stuff. But it was that was the point for me where I was like, you know, what are you doing? You, you know, you know, it's interesting because consequences. I had a high pain threshold, so I got four driving on revokes and. 30 days here, 30 days, and it's just part of the gig. Then I went to prison in 08. They gave me a year for my fourth driving on revoke. I did 64 days, got out, went right back to using. But when that judge said seven years at 44 years old, that was it. I I was done. Um, I wouldn't change a thing because I wouldn't be where I'm at and I wouldn't be the person today if I did. So. Right. No, I absolutely agree yeah. with you. And, you know, that was one of the things, you know, it, it pushed me to go to rehab. It, it pushed me to take control of, you know, the things that I was doing with my life at that point, which were really nothing great. Um, you know, I I lost a business. I had, you know, everything. I was back in my parents' house in the basement, like, mm-hmm. drinking myself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so um, I think one of the things you know, that we have in common in a little bit of a different way, though, is we both have a, a lot of uh, grief in our life and loss. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you sort of share with us about the death of your son and how that inspired you to really become involved in the recovery world? You know, I got out of prison and, uh, you know, prior to me going, Nick and I used for probably eight to 10 months and my son was my best friend. But we were using buddies. And unless you're an addict, you'll never wrap your head around that. But that's how we bonded. Right. And I got out, and I wasn't trying to save him, but uh, guide and direct him. And he was back in pres- uh, treatment again for the sixth time. And I can remember going to meet Nick. And I'm about 18, 19 months sober. And he's like, Dad, you're finally sober. I'm in treatment. I'm going to get sober. He's like, think of the things we could do, a father-son team. And I said, Nick, that's great. But I need you to stay sober. 30 days later, he's in jail, got out 45 days after that. And his mom picked him up, fed him, said, we're done. Not coming to my house, dads. And I can remember calling him five days out and saying, Nick, come to my house and get some Narcan. And he said, Dad, I'm not on that anymore. And I believed him. And uh, two days later, my former wife called me at 6 in the morning and said, Nick OD'd again. I'm coming to pick you up. And we shot to the hospital and ran in and told the people tim tim ryan and shannon here to see our son nick and 30 seconds later the chaplain walked out i knew he was dead what was my next thought go use that's what most people say no my next thought was i'm going to go to the six o'clock meeting that night and my next phone call was to my sponsor and i was surrounded um and my son died on my 21 month sobriety date i went to a meeting because that's what i'm conditioned and taught to do and I never looked back. And then, uh, you know, a year later, his best friend, Adam, who lived with me, and he died. I found him dead. And he was working at the treatment center I was at. And, you know, 150 funerals later. But unfortunately, you know, Jen and I talk about it a lot because she recently lost her, her stepmother. Okay. Um, and then a dear friend of ours, Boston George Young, who the movie Blow was based on, oh, okay. um, international drug smuggler. But George became a father figure to my wife and, and a best friend to me. And how we deal with it, it's different today because I'm so accustomed to it. Uh, Jen was actually writing an article th- two days ago, and it hit her. Right. And it took a month or you know. And I've been yeah, today. I did therapy last week. I did therapy, and I'm like, and I said to Tim, I said. 
is there something wrong with me because I haven't felt it? Like I hadn't, cr- I mean, this is a woman who's been in my life for 30 years, you know, like right. um, George who changed my life 20 years ago and then he comes back into my life, you know, a few years back, uh, like three, four years ago. And I'm like, this is so insane. Like I'm not feeling like the last, like I have my mother, thank God, in, in this world. But I, I don't have, you know, the any more old, you know, older people in my life right. that have been there, my, you know, my whole life. And I said, am I too immune to death because we're in it all the time we know about people dying daily you know and that's the thing that's really getting to me right now is that you know different than you know some of us overdosing back in the day there's no second chances now right people you you go and you i don't know what i'd buy on the streets you know and what about those 90 percent of the people 10 of 10 percent of us make it what about the 90 percent the don't yep right exactly um you know, so what do you, uh, th- and this is a question for both of you, this is going to be our last sort of interview question. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge, uh, the biggest challenges today are for people in recovery as compared to when you started your, your sober journey, Gen- Jennifer and, and Tim? Go ahead. You know, I'm eight, uh, eight and a half plus years sober, but I've been going in the room since, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. Um what I like about the L.A. recovery is fucking hardcore out here. There's no bullshit. What I see today is uh, they do. there's too much coddling. There's too much babying. There's, oh, it's okay, you relapsed for the 18th time. I'm real talk. I'm in your face. This shit's life and death, and right. I've seen every side. You're going to get sober, you're going to die, or you're going to live in a prison cell. What do you want to do? And it's working with the families because I think the families are sicker than the people trying to get help and – you know, it's hard to say with the, the virtual and this, and a lot of people talk a good game, but when I find out they died or relapsed, they never worked a program. That's right. the thing. Like, I believe, I don't think everyone needs to go to treatment. I'm not an advocate of, like, I don't, I'm, and I'm the first to say that. I could really screw a lot of people up that I say that, but <laughs> I don't think, unless you need that detox and you need to be watched and you need that, I believe that's right. where for you, when medical, you go to treatment. Yeah, medical, for medical right. reasons. Exactly. But not everyone needs to go to treatment. Now, another thing is, I got sober and crunch on 96 after I got done with treatment, and like, like I got in the hood. Like these people, like they rebirth me. The real work starts after you leave treatment, and I do believe and agree with you that there's too much coddling going on. Like the if you do you, there's many roads to recovery. Right, right? Exactly. There's many roads. The thing is, people don't want to come to terms with their truth, and like they're so in fear of what happened to them. But when they take a real good look that it already happened and it's done, you can heal from there. Right. But you you also have people, too, that get sober and can use a phone and do a Facebook Live or do this and quote all this 12-step big book shit and get all these. They're getting gratification from the likes and the comments. Absolutely. You know, I see people with three, four, five hundred thousand followers on their page, and I'm like, they're not even sober. But they're preaching recovery, and it baffles me. But if I could, I'd call everybody out. You know, (laughs) I I think that, you know, we sort of – have come from the same uh, a lot of the same program thread Mm -hmm. um you know i i am a member of uh, one of the largest um weekly meetings here in la um and in their their hardcore absolutely um you know and i i was definitely not coddled um and it was because i had a therapist in my in my outpatient program who 
didn't put up with my bullshit. Good. Um, and and that's really the sort of the the basis of of my practice as well. Is I, you know there there isn't coddling, there isn't handholding. Let's look at the truth. Let's look at the issues that you're facing. Let's look at you know what you want for your journey. Um, you know, and and really like digging in deep and and addressing the the background issues and the things that you know we all deal with. Um, you know. There's absolutely program-specific things, but there's also trauma, and there's also things that, you know, aren't program-specific. You know, I can tell you, my sponsor at one point was like, I think you need to go back to seeing a therapist. He's like, you know, there's some other issues that are coming up now that aren't program-related. And, you know, and I, I was shocked to hear that coming from my sponsor in my program that I'm in. Um, you know, so... Um, well, but, yeah, it's... I, I saw a lot of people, too, trying to give medical advice or if someone's on psychotropic meds and they need to be on them and go into recovery, good for you. It's by a doctor. It's not for you. Oh, your sponsor. Oh, get off those meds. And look, sponsor, you're just to guide through the steps. Yeah, you're right. not here to give medical yep. advice and, and family advice. And that's what a therapist is for. That's what a doctor's for. And too many people get their egos and get it twisted. So I'm, I like the old school. I tell someone, you go to a meeting, find the, the meanest person with the longest amount of recovery, 20, 30 years, go ask them to help you. Yeah, no, exactly. That, that's, that's who you work with. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my, my therapist, took me to the meeting and said this is going to be your sponsor and i mean it was that's what jen did with a lot of people yeah. i won't mention names but yeah. a, a very famous person 13 plus years sober now um wanted to date jen and she said no uh here's tom yeah. Yeah. here's he's your new sponsor yeah. and, and right. go deal with him but absolutely so um now we get into um my weekly sort of assignment and homework for the listeners out there um, you know, this, for this, okay, fam, for, here's this week's homework. I want you to implement this in your life and tell me how it went. Email me at Dr. Shu, that's D-R-S-H-O-E, at breakingthroughwithdrshu.com. Um, I, I want you guys out there to set guidelines and roles with friends, partners, and family members around you that you need for the success of your recovery and mental health. Do not be afraid to set roles and stick by those roles. Um, if, if they can't comply, then they're not helping you with your recovery and should probably not be around you. So I, I want you guys out there to sit and make a list of, of roles. Um, you know, again, we talked briefly about pride season. We talked about summer. There's going to be parties. The, you know, 20, summer of 2021 is here and hopefully it's going to be a maskless summer in most, most places, you know. And we've all been cooped up. So, you know, set those roles. Have your your support system there. You know, for me, one of the things <clears throat> that I first, when I, when I first started going back out to different clubs and, and things like that is I always had sober people with me, for one. And there was always a role that if at any point any of us said it's time for us to go, we left as a group. It didn't matter. There was no if, ands, or buts, no bullshit. We left. Um, and, you know, and that's that's one of the, the most important, you know, aspects of, you know, enjoying things um, but having that support system around you. And, and if people aren't supporting you in your recovery, you might need to look for uh, other other friends and, you know, other support systems to help you with that. Amen. Um, Amen. So, you know, this week we have um, some listener question and answers. 
Um, so these have been sent in by some of the listeners of the, the podcast and on our website. Um, so the first one, and um, so I'm going to read out the, the question and then, you know, we're sort of going to talk a little bit about it for a couple minutes. Um, the first question is, um, I am curious about the various ways to respond to an addictions client in individual sessions when they report they have either relapsed or have continued to use while in treatment. And this is coming from an, another clinician. Wow. You know, how they should respond to the client? Sure. You know, the crazy thing is, I just had somebody call me yesterday, um, a father out of New York, his kids somewhere in Orange County, and said, my daughter got high through treatment, and now she's in a sober home getting high. What do I do? So we need to get her out of there immediately. Right. Absolutely. Get them out immediately and and get them into a different program because, unfortunately, that runs rampant. and. Parents don't understand. I can get drugs anywhere in the. I can get drugs anywhere in the world. You put me and Jennifer anywhere, and within an hour, we will have whatever we. Want. Drugs are everywhere, but right. it's ultimately up to the individual too. Um, and if the patterns keep happening, something else needs to be changed and adjusted. Right, and you know, it, it comes down to motive to change. Bingo. You know, and and you know, this is one of the things that you know I. I've always dealt with, you know, with parents and stuff is why, why isn't, why isn't he staying sober? Why, you know, <laughs> this is the, the 16th treatment center this year that he's been in, you know, what, what can we do? And, you know, a lot of times it's stop sending money, stop doing all these things, stop enabling. And, you know, he's, he, a lot of times they need to hit bottom. Yeah. It- Real quick, I had, I had a father call me four years ago, and he says, is this Tim Ryan? I said, yeah. I said, I'm so-and-so. I'm a retired psychiatrist and addictionologist, so don't give me any of your bullshit. My kid's 24. He, he's you know been to eight treatment centers, blah, 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 blah. What do I do? And I said, what, Jen said? I said, your kid doesn't need treatment. Your kid doesn't know how to stay sober. I said, I got a program in South Carolina. It's a 12-step AA Big Big Book boot camp. It's four months. Send him there. How much is it? I said uh, fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. He said done. Kid's still sober today. He had no foundation. Anyone can go to treatment. Like it, yeah. it's it kind of goes back to how what you were just saying that I would say is that. I am so grateful that Al-Anon did not find my mom until I got sober. And then family group found her, and my game was up. My mom, even when I was five years sober, I when I ended the relationship, she was like, okay, and I was like, I need to stay at your house for a couple of days until I find a place. And she was like, okay. Meanwhile, I'm on all these shows, right? She's right. like, you can't drink and you can't use here. I'm like, yo, I'm five years sober. And she was like, like I said, you know, and she still <laughs> uses that. But, like, bless her for doing that because when I realized early in treatment that Al-Anon got, got in family, group got a hold of her the game was up the game was i didn't up, have right. anyone else to like manipulate or like co-sign my bullshit so i was screwed and i had to get better and i was like this is gonna suck you know oh, and absolutely. i and it changed my life and sometimes again they need to hit their bottom and don't put them in treatment because they know i knew how i knew the words in the book and the big book. i just didn't apply them into my life right? i got well, sober in a prison cell so they don't need to go back to the the palm trees and swimming pools pools put them in a state-funded program yeah. send them to a long peer-driven program you but, know well you know after three or four or five stints in treatment you, there's not much change that goes on between no. treatment centers nope. let's be no. honest no absolutely you know, it's the same groups it's yep. the same talk it's the yep. same everything um you know in there's not, um, you know, I. It, it's the craziest thing. So, you know, for me, I have three, three, uh, two, there's three of us, but there's two other of my friends that um, 
you know, we, that we met in, in treatment. And out of the whole group of like, you know, 25 or 30 of us that were that class or however yeah. you want to call it, you know, there's three of us. 10%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's you it. know, and, and every year we celebrate our, our sober anniversaries and we're like, we're still beating the odds. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, I, th- I think clinicians, too, like our therapist, General Sharon Day, he will only take 25 percent of his clients that are addicts right. um, or alcoholics because uh, he has his balance, too. But I think clinicians need to learn to walk yeah. away from people, too. Right. No, you're no, not absolutely. a fit. Try somewhere else. But too many people. Whether it's a recovery advocate, it's a, a people try to save people. I'm not here to save you. I'm, I'm not here to be your friend. You know, here's my road. If you like it, great. If not, kick rocks with no shoes. I wish you the best of luck. Absolutely. Well, you know, I want to thank you both for coming on the show this evening. Thank you so much. It, it's thank been you. great. I honestly, we could probably go for another like three hours at <laughs> all least. day long. Um, you know, and and hopefully um, we can actually do that at some point. Um, That'd be I amazing. Think it would be, I think it would be great. Um, you know, so. So this has been another episode of Cut the Bullshit with Dr. Shu. Obviously, that's me. Um, we talked a l- about a lot of stuff tonight. Um, please feel free to reach out to myself through the website. That's breaking through with drshu.com. Um, you can send requests for you know individual therapy sessions um, and also keep up to date with the things that I have going on as I have, I'm working on multiple projects and, and things um, and a lot of that kind of stuff is listed there. Um, please feel free to send me emails and questions. And, and you know, we want to be able to answer, you know, everyone's questions out there and, and get the help out that's needed. You know, Tim uh, and, and Jennifer are also available, um, you know, through their, their Instagrams, through, you know, their websites, through, through all the different media, which is uh, all featured here. Um, you know, and, and that's the biggest thing. It's your journey. We're here to help you with it. Um, you know, and these two amazing folks here that came in the show tonight, you know, that's what they want to do. They, they're getting the word out, getting the um, helping to break the stigma, bringing the awareness about and, and really cutting the bullshit. Amen. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that's one of the best things ever. So, um, again, thank you so much for coming on the Thanks show. Thanks for having us. Um, and, you know, again, if you need to reach out to any of us, um, please feel free to do that. We're, we're here to help you. Um, and that's what it's about. Uh, this has been another episode. Um, so I, I wish you all a, an amazing week. Remember, if nobody has told you they love you, I love you. Mm-hmm. And, and that'll do it for tonight. Thank you so much. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.